So the rest of you, we're going to look today at uh, uh, Numbers chapter 26. Uh, we've been looking through the book of Numbers now for uh, several months. We're going to continue that today. And if you look at uh, Numbers uh, 26, as it's printed here in the bulletin, you may be horrified to note that it's 65 verses. And you may even be further horrified to note that it's 65 verses of Palawites, Hezronites, Carmites, Shimronites, Punites, right? And so you're thinking, oh, this is awesome. I'll go get a cup of coffee, and when he's done with that, I'll come back in, maybe. Although, what could God possibly say to me uh, in this text? Uh, I'm not going to read all 65 verses to you. Um, I, uh, one of the guys I've been using as a resource as I've worked through this uh, book, uh, when he preached through this, he read all 65 verses and castigated pastors who don't read all 65 verses of this chapter because uh, he said, you're more interested in uh, the people hearing what you have to say than what God has to say, and I'm certainly not, uh, but I am trying to put the cookies on a lower shelf, take the lid off the cookie jar, and tilt it towards you. So uh, if I can do that this morning, then uh, that, that would be a good thing. So we are gonna, we're going to read uh, several sections of the text today as we work our way through it to, to lay hold of uh, um, some of the things that I believe that uh, God is uh, teaching to us today. Um, and so, um, yeah, so let me begin uh, why don't we, uh, why don't you open your bulletin to the uh, second page of the scriptures. It's page eight in the bulletin. And let me read the last uh, th- three verses, uh, and then we'll make some comments about that, and then we'll begin our work uh, through the rest uh, of the passage. So uh, this, this text is a census. Uh, the book of Numbers, uh, uh, there's, uh, there was a lot of numbers in the first couple of chapters where there was a census. Forty years has occurred since that census, and now there's a lot of numbers and names again uh, at uh, the end of the uh, of uh, near the end of the book of Numbers, and so that should put us in a little bit of uh, a context here. But let me begin at verse 63. This is God's word. These were those listed by Moses and Eleazar the priest, who listed the people of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. But among these were not one of those listed by Moses and Aaron, the priest, who had listed the people of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said to them, they shall die in the wilderness. Not one of them was left except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. So, um, Scott, go ahead and put my my notes up there. So just as there was a census at the beginning of Numbers, there's a, a second one here. Now, one of the things that we should see about this is, is that God counts people regularly uh, and that there are censuses uh, throughout uh, the scriptures where he lists names and he talks about people. In fact, uh, today's Pentecost, and you may not know it or not because you probably haven't read Acts 1 in a while, but there's a census of sorts in Acts 1 where God lists, uh, the, the writer there lists for us uh, the apostles. This, these are the guys. These, these are the ones who were there experiencing uh, that first Pentecost after the resurrection of Jesus, right? So, so one of the things that is important for us to understand about this is these, these names and these numbers, they, they matter, right? And so 
whenever God's about to do something big, and he's about to do something big here, he lists all these names. Now, a couple of things to... Uh, uh, to, to see about this is, is when we read this list and we, we see all these names and we see all these numbers, it becomes kind of meaningless to us. But the fact is, the truth is, God tells us these names and he tells us these numbers because he knows these people. They are his people. They belong to him. He knows them. He knows every one of them by name and they matter. And that's one of the ways you can tell that you're different from God. Because you come across a list of names. I'll give you a great example. Last week, I was not here. Uh, I was at uh, the commencement for my daughter. She graduated from college. Um, And so what do you do when you go to a graduation? You get that program and you look. You look for one name to make sure it's in there. I did anyway, because you never know. Right? (laughs) Right? And you look in there and you see, ah, there's her name. And then I think, oh, look at all these names. It's outside. And the section that I had to sit in with her, this is weird. They, uh, each graduate gets a squire. I was her squire. I'll explain to you later what a squire does at a graduation at Randolph College, but not, to, not today. But the section we were sitting in was the lone section outdoors in the amphitheater, in the sun. It was so hot. So that made looking at the list even more hardening and embittering. So I'm like, Lord Jesus, I'm going to sit out here in the heat waiting for all these people to walk across this stage and hear their names read. I'm here for one name. And it starts with S. <laughs> so it's towards the end. And so I'm like, you got to help me. So I begin to think, you know, um, I know some other kids in here. And I know their stories. This is interesting to me. It's good to see them. It's good to see them graduate friends. And there were some people that graduated that I didn't like. I don't like that kid, but that was good. You know, whenever I come across that, it helps me to pray for them as well as for the ones that I like. And so uh, the fact is, if you know a few of those names, it helps you to see that each one of these people matters. And that's the great news for us as we think about this today is, you know, sometimes we we get lost uh, in... uh, in, 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 in numbers and in names and all of these sorts of things. But God is taking account of his people and he looks at them. And the part of the reason why he's taking account of his people is not because, uh, not only, not, not only so that they can be identified. He doesn't need them to be identified to him. He knows them, but it is helpful for us to be identified to one another. And to be identified as we are his people. We are the people that belong to him. We are the people who have entrusted ourselves to Jesus Christ. He uh, belongs to us and we belong to him. And we are a discreet number of folks, right? With names and histories and, and hurts 
and and victories and all of those things. And and all of that should be seen in this, right? So when God takes the census, that's that's something that we should see about this. So rather than get lost in, in all the names and all the numbers and that sort of thing and just dismiss it, God put this in here for us so that we would know that we matter. That we are counted. That we belong to one another because we belong to him. And so he identifies us, he names us, and he numbers us. And in fact, uh, we read at the end of the Bible uh, that a book will be opened. And there's a census in that book of the names of the people who the Lamb has redeemed. And so this counting and this identification by names is something that God does to communicate to us who we belong to. But not only that, that he sees us, that he knows us, that he numbers us, and that he names us, right? And so that's a that's something that you have to see about this. Now, there's something else to note about this, though. This is a new generation. Forty years have passed since the first census. And, and the way this last section is written uh, speaks volumes to us about that. Note what he says. These were those listed by Moses and Eliezer the priest. Now, most of the time when we've been reading numbers, we read about Moses and Aaron the priest. But Aaron's dead. Who listed the people of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. But among these were not one of those listed by Moses and Aaron the priest who had listed the people of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said to them, they shall all die in the wilderness. Just think over 40 years, the number of funerals that happened day after day. Right? Now, now we hear this, we think about this, and this is tough for us. And the reason why it's tough for us is because uh, we, in our flesh, tend to delude ourselves into thinking that there are no consequences really to sin. Not really. Now, now to ourselves, right? So certainly, certainly we feel the consequences when somebody sins against us, but, but most of the time when, when we do something that we know, as, as we've read uh, previous weeks in a high-handed way, we believe, you know what? Uh, no consequences. Jesus died. It's okay. Shang started our worship service today talking about the glory and the wonder of the forgiveness of sins. When we read the creed and we say that we believe in the forgiveness of sins, nothing could be truer. But oh, 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 the cost. The cost. The cost. You see... We should never forget that the New Testament tells us that the wages of sin is death. God is intolerant of sin. We should never forget that because when we forget that, and I say that to you today not to make you feel nervous or guilty or anxious or angry or anything like that, but to elevate before you the love of God for you, that he would take this thing that he cannot tolerate and he loads it upon his son so that the wages of your sin is his death. 
And so, so as we think about that today, the, the forgiveness of our sins is, is the glory of the church. It is one of the things that we trumpet uh, before the world, but it is costly. We should never forget that the wages of sin is death. And God was teaching his people that over 40 years, that their rebellion and their unbelief and their refusal to, to take God at his word and to move into the promised land, they waited 40 years and they watched that generation pass away. God's intolerant of sin and rebellion. And Romans 6, go ahead, makes that, makes this, makes that very clear to us. Another thing to note that is spread throughout this passage is that God is loving his people in another way. And that is, he is warning them. He is warning them. Now, if you're like me, I don't ever want to be warned. Right? Don't warn me. I'm smart enough not to be warned. They, Friday morning, I, I, I have an early morning appointment with a group of guys at, at Chick-fil-A. And I got up Friday morning and I had this vague sense that it had been raining. <laughs> You know, like, I think it rained a little bit last night. And so I get up and I'm drinking my coffee and I got Andrew Frieden on the TV and he's like, oh, it's bad. It's so bad. I'm like, no, it's not. Don't, don't, you're making something out of this that's nothing. I don't need to pay any attention to that. I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A this morning, enjoy the guys, enjoy the Lord. I don't need to pay any attention to this. So I get to the end of the street. And I'm thinking, well, it is raining. It's raining a lot. As I watch people's trash bins go past me down the street. And I get to the end of the street and I look to the left and there's a, this blue flashing light. And I think, well, wow, that's, that's something that looks funny. And then I look at it even more and I realize it looks funny because it's reflecting in the pond that is the road. <laughs> and I'm like... Turn around, don't drown. That's a warning. You know, maybe Andrew Frieden loves me. Right? So God uses the census as he's citing the names and the tribes and the generations to say, I want you to remember certain things. I want you to remember things that happened. In fact, the very beginning of of this text, what do we read in the very first three words after the plague? After the plague that came as a result of the people's sin, the Lord said to Moses and to Eleazar, the, the son of Aaron, the priest, take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel from 20 years old and upward by their father's houses, all in Israel who were able to go to war. So, so that at the very beginning, God is, is saying to his people, hey, you know, we're, 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 we're going to the promised land. We're going to take this census. We're going to get prepared for that. Uh, the fact that there was this uh, sin and rebellion and a plague as a result of that. Remember that. That's the context in which we are uh, counting our numbers and getting ready uh, uh, to prepare ourselves to go into the promised land. He keeps, as he goes through this, he speaks of Korah. Remember Korah's rebellion? We talked about that a few months ago. Verse 10, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah when that company died. When the fire devoured 250 men and they became a warning. Right? And then verse 19, we have this uh, kind of odd uh, uh, reminder. The sons of Judah 
where Ur, Ur and Onan, Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. You can read about what Ur and Onan did in the book of Genesis. Uh, they didn't even make it into Egypt with the folks that went there with Jacob. Uh, their sin and their rebellion against God was dealt with uh, even uh, before they even got there to, uh, uh, to, to Egypt. And then in verse 61, we're reminded of uh, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. But Nadab and Abihu died when they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. And so as, so as we read this this morning, one of the things we have to say about that is the Lord, even as he's counting his people, even as he's naming them, he recalls as he names them, as he talks about the tribes and the, uh, uh, and, and the clans and all that stuff. Hey, you, you know, you need to remember Nadab and Abihu. You need to remember Korah. You need, you need to remember these things because these, if, if you remember these things, it will help you to avoid Things that will kill you. It will help you to avoid and to understand the power and the perverse nature of sin and that it has, that it has these effects, that sin leads to death. And so I'm warning you because I love you to stay away from that. Uh, one of, one of our kids, um, when he was little, uh, was really chubby, really fat. So fat that it affected his development. He was so fat he couldn't roll over when he was supposed to. And he was so fat, he, he didn't walk, which is terrible when you're 33 pounds at, at age one and you're not walking. And you know what? You're not very interested in it because you're so big. He was huge. Well, we had to teach him to walk because, you know, other, or we're going to need back surgery from toting him around all the time. He was lazy. He didn't like to walk. But, but. Get him near a parking lot. (laughs) Off like a rocket. He's going to die. Right? So totally clueless about danger or whatever. But there was something about parking lots that just looked to him like, this looks like a place to run. And maybe dodge some cars, Lord willing. And so he did that to me one day right out here when someone was learning to drive in the parking lot. And I took off after him and I caught him and I got down on my knees at eye level and I firmly put my hand on his arm and I looked him in the eye and I pointed at him and I said, if you do that again, you will die. And I love you and I don't want you to die. Stop it. Stop it right now. When God calls us and says to us, he's warning us. He's, that is an evidence to us of his love. So anytime you come across a warning and God says, hey, this is a warning. He's saying, I love you. And I want you to experience flourishing and joy and life. Do not do this. What are some other things that this chapter points to for us? Um, Notice when I read uh, the first four verses there, the reason why they're taking uh, uh, this census, right? It says... uh, 
count all of the uh, people of Israel from 20 years old and upward by their father's houses and all in Israel who are able to go to war, right? Uh, and Moses and Eleazar, the priests, spoke with them in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, right? So one of the things that we have to see about this and one of the things that we hear about this when we look at this text is they're taking a census for war. And, and we hear that and we think that's, that's a, that's a terrible, that's a terrible thing. But I, I want you to understand something that these, this, this story of the people here uh, in numbers uh, is for us. You, we get confused about this and we often get it wrong. But I am here to tell you that the Bible communicates to us that the life of the people of God, that the life of a follower of Jesus Christ is warfare. Now, we get confused about who our enemies are, and we fight the wrong enemies all the time, all the time. So confused, so, so, so messed up about that. But the New Testament's very clear to us that there as long as you are in Christ and as long as you are breathing air, you are in a conflict and you are at war with the world, with your flesh, and with the devil. It never stops. And let me warn you here this morning, if you have no sense in your heart of that conflict, you should wonder why you don't. Right? Sometimes peace and ease uh, are not what they seem to be. Jesus never makes peace with the world. He never makes peace with our flesh. And he never makes peace, praise God, with the devil. Next next slide. The other thing to note about this is, is that they are on a journey, that they are moving. They're, as I've said before, uh, one of the ways that we could look at our lives is that our life here uh, uh, is a life of camping, right? So when, when you're camping, for most of us, uh, the place where you live in your campground, the place where you pitch your tent, uh, by definition, is a temporary place. Now, today we've got fancy tents that we pull behind our trucks, right, <laughs> called RVs. But, but unless you're a, a, a retiree uh, from Florida, you probably don't live uh, in an RV, right? And so, so, so the fact is, these places that they're going, this, this place where they are receiving this revelation as they look across the, Jericho, uh, the Jordan River, as they look over to Jericho, is a temporary home. I don't care how long you've lived where you live. I don't care how deep your roots are in Richmond, Virginia, or wherever they are. You are only camping. That your true home, the place you were made to live, the place you are built to inhabit, uh, is, is somewhere else. Now, while we are here, we act and live as the people of God. But I don't get so attached to the things in the campground I don't get so attached to this that I can't understand that the life that God has for me while I am living and breathing here is a life that is moving me toward an ultimate destination. And my ultimate destination, the ultimate place I belong, is in the promised land with him. The other thing to note about this uh, census is 
that these people are about generations, right? And that, that we, as they identify themselves, these generations bleed into inheritance and to families and tribes. Um, one of the things that you note is each one of these names that begins each section of these paragraphs is one of Jacob's sons, right? And so uh, what you see about that is, uh, beginning in verse 52, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Among these, that is all of those tribes, the land shall be divided for inheritance according to the number of names. To a large tribe you shall give a large inheritance, and to a small tribe you shall give a small inheritance. Every tribe shall be given its inheritance in proportion to its list. But the land shall be divided by lot. According to the names of the tribes of their fathers, they shall inherit. Their inheritance shall be divided according to lot between the larger and the smaller. So, so what, you, what you see here, what's going on is God is identifying these people. And as he's doing that, he is preparing them for what he is giving them. He is preparing them for this inheritance. And this inheritance is something uh, that... Uh, began generations ago, and we get to uh, enjoy the fullness of that when we get to the promised land. You are a brother or a sister to Jesus Christ, and what he inherits is yours. You belong to him, and because you belong to him, his inheritance becomes your inheritance. And so, and, 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 and you know what? As in light of this text, there are going to be different inheritances. Some of you are going to get more than others. But you know what? That's going to be great. You know why that's going to be great? Because you're going to be so sanctified when you get to the promised land that your joy is going to be that this person over here got more than you. Now, if you don't believe that you have to be sanctified to be glorified... Think about that one for a little bit, right? But the other thing that I want you to, to take away from this is, is that families and tribes matter to God. They matter. Now, you know, in America today, we talk a lot about tribalism. And I'm here to tell you uh, that the vast majority of us don't know a stinking thing about that. If you want to know about tribes and the blessings and the curses of being a part of a tribe, talk to Shang. Talk to some one of our, our, our uh, brothers or sisters who that's actually a part of their culture. And that'll help you understand this a little bit, a little bit better. But the fact of the matter is, these families and these tribes matter to God, and they matter because they raise up for us not uh, uh, a, a, a part of our identity. We think, as uh, most of us think, that our identity, we arrived at it totally autonomously. But in the economy of God, we, we arrive at our identity uh, from things that happened years and years ago in the people that know and love us. Now, for some of us, there's some really horrifying things that have happened. And God recounts those stories for us so that we can see that his redeeming love and care for us in Jesus Christ breaks cycles in families and in generations and brings about hope and healing in ways that, that maybe never could have been there before. But he also uses families and generations to communicate love and grace in ways and to shape us in ways that we, we could never imagine. Um, 
One of the things I've always wondered about, about my parents, and this was an important thing to, to kind of get a, a handle on for me before they both died in the last two years, was what attracted them to each other to start with. Because <clears throat> from the time they were 10 years old until they were 86, my dad sent my mom a Valentine every year. Every year. Every year. I'm not making this up. This is not a Hallmark Channel thing here. This is for real. This is our family. Okay? And that's just that was just stunning to me. Because I remember asking my mom years ago, like, what do you remember about dad when you first met him? He had the dirtiest hands of any human being I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> when they met as 10-year-olds. As and so I asked my dad, what, what was mom doing the first time you met her? On the playground in the fourth grade, she was smoking a cigarette. Now, this is 1940, rural North Carolina. What a playground. What a school, you know. <laughs> there's an uh, I won't say anything. I, was, I thought I was thinking there's, there's an argument for school choice. If uh, they let you uh, smoke your cigarette, your, your 10-year-old smoke her cigarette on the playground. And he said it stood out then because she took a long draw off the cigarette and blew the smoke out and said, I just started. Yeah. So that's where I come from. These are my people. Okay. So, um, uh, but I asked my dad the week uh, before he died. I'm like, what? What attracted you to mom? They, uh, her last name was Sisk. His last name was Shelby. In the or in the alphabetical listing in the class, she sat behind him. And I said, what, is it, what was it about that little 10-year-old girl that got your attention? When my dad was five, his mom died. The year my dad sat uh, on the same row with my mom uh, in the fourth grade, her mom died. And he said, I saw a little girl and I know what that's like. And so... That's where I come from. What a legacy to remember that and to be able to communicate that to my grandchildren. So one of the things that we have to see about this is, is that God is interested in families. And if he's interested in families, he's interested in the generations. The good, the bad, and the ugly, right? And, 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 and the fact of the matter is, you know, we would like to pretend that God just sprang to life in our life just here and now and that sudden, all the things and all the people and all the witness that went before didn't really matter. But God takes a census and he identifies these people in the census by people here like Reuben and Joseph and Judah who are long dead, to call to mind the faithfulness of this God to and through his people and by his people for centuries. And so you may only be a, a follower of Christ in the last five minutes. You may be a follower of Christ 
for all your life. And as far back as you can see in your family tree, everyone has done that. In both cases, the Lord is raising up a testimony and a work to get glory for himself in the way in which he brings the gospel to bear in our lives and in the lives of the people that we know and love. The disciples.